podcast one production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. You will go to a very crappy drama school and do a very crappy naked scene. I knew that I would chicken out. I knew all the way through rehearsal and all day before the first performance that I wasn't going to do it. As people were looking at me with, geez, I couldn't do what you're doing faces, and friends were patting me on the back wishing me luck, I already had an emergency pair of costume knickerbockers in my bag because I knew there was no way I was going to go full nude on stage in front of a theatre full of people. It was 2006 and I was in my second year at a very crappy drama school. It was the kind of drama school that you didn't actually have to audition for. As long as you had the money to pay them, they would take you. It was in a few crappy rooms in a rundown office building in Surrey Hills, but the school also rented a theatre right in the middle of Sydney City, which made us feel really legit. When other proper drama students would ask us where our campus was, we'd sort of mumble something about Surrey Hills before proclaiming, but most of our classes are at the Pilgrim Theatre, you know, on Pitt Street. Something about a theatre being in the city made us feel like we weren't wasting much of our money. The kind of students who went there were the ones who'd been rejected from the proper schools, NIDA, WAPA, VCA, but still had a lot of misplaced enthusiasm. I see some of them pop up in the occasional commercial now, bright-eyed and gung-ho, declaring that the latest Toyota has 12 months of free servicing. At first, it was the kind of thing that made you feel proud, but almost 10 years after graduating, one commercial every two years just feels kind of sad. I ended up at the Australian Academy of Dramatic Art, abbreviated to ADA, probably in the hope that people might mistake it for NIDA, in 2005. After my disastrous one-month stint at Sydney University, I spent the rest of the year working in retail before deciding that all those Oscars speeches I'd practised in my room over the years should probably be given the chance to make it to an actual Oscars stage. I was right at the start of my treatment for PTSD, had just begun taking medication for depression and anxiety, and all I wanted was to do something fun. To be honest, I didn't even try to audition for the proper schools. An audition process seemed way too daunting, and my confidence was shot after being verbally assassinated by Wayne for three years in private school hell. That Ada wasn't going to force me to audition was the reason I picked it. There were about 30 students in the freshman year of 2005, and I'd say less than half of those had any kind of talent. Probably about a quarter were embarrassingly bad. So bad that you'd watch them on stage and think, how can you not know? How has there been no one kind enough in your life to tell you that every time you open your mouth to act, people are cringing in the dark? But then you'd think, well, if they don't know and nobody's told them, maybe I don't know that I'm shit and nobody's told me. And then you'd generally freak out until you got pissed and convinced yourself that you could definitely get an agent if you just lost a few kilos. Besides the moderately talented students and the really, really bad students, there were also just a bunch of charismatic kids who had liked drama in high school and weren't really sure what else to do. I'd say I fell into the latter group. I wasn't great, I wasn't terrible, I just wanted to have fun. Of course, since I had not managed to increase my cool quota in the slightest since childhood, my idea of fun was sketch comedy and goofing around. I read gossip mags at lunch while other students were reading Chekhov. I just wanted to make up funny skits. Other students wanted to break down the beats in a doll's house. But drama school was how I found my soulmates. After spending three years at a high school where I walked away with exactly two friends, one of whom was Josh, I needed to find a community. And the kids at drama school who didn't give a fuck gave me that community. 
We were the ones who laughed about how shit our campus was and the fact that anyone even tried to call three rooms in an office building a campus. We were the ones who skipped movement class to go and get pissed at the pub. Basically, the people I was drawn to at drama school were the people who just wanted to laugh at life, and those people remain my friends to this day. We often spent entire two-hour classes in suspended character play. For one particular class, each student had a chair, which they had to romantically dance with and seduce for an hour. One guy was so appalled by the ridiculousness of it, he flat out refused to seduce his chair, which was major sacrilege. He refuses to dance with the chair? He needs to let go. He's so closed off to his true inner self. He'll never be a truly great actor if he can't spend an hour making love to a piece of furniture. In another class, I had trouble spending 45 minutes living my character's journey as a very sexual dolphin. My acting teacher looked at me with pity, like it was so sad that I didn't have what it took to ever be a really great creative spirit. I'm quite pleased that, besides the odd McDonald's commercial, nobody who successfully seduced their chair or spent an hour gawking like a parrot has found success either. I knew the chair seducing was bullshit. So, given my propensity to goof around and not really give a toss about spending an hour imagining my character as a deaf baby, I was surprised to be offered a pretty dramatic lead role in my second year. The role came to be known as the naked role. It was highly coveted, since the minute you got naked on stage you are immediately a brave and talented actor. I was going to play a nun. She had fallen in love with Don Juan and given her virginity to him, and when she realises that he's had a bunch of other girls on the side, she rips off her nun's habit in a rush of emotion because she feels she no longer has the right to represent God. Then she stands naked in front of Don Juan, crying before exiting stage left. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff that I had no doubt in my mind I would never be able to pull off. The Nun was a mostly comedic role, which is why I assume it was offered to me, but her last emotional naked scene was the one I knew I would never come close to getting right. So I just put the scene to the back of my mind, the naked part and the quality acting part. It was probably the best female role in the play, and I was so flattered to have been cast that I sort of forgot that there was no chance in hell I was ever going to be able to do it. On the day of our first show, we had a tech run and a dress rehearsal. The director told me that I could stay dressed for those and that I only had to go full naked for opening night if I felt comfortable. I told him I definitely would be, knowing that I definitely wouldn't be. There was more chance of me hanging out with the kids who read Chekhov at lunch than there was of me getting naked on that stage. The sad part of the whole thing was the actual reason I didn't want to get naked. It had nothing to do with people seeing my private parts. I was happy to let my vag hang out in front of a crowd. It was because of my body. I had broken up with Josh about halfway through the year and since then had gained some weight. Not a lot, but enough to make me feel weird and self-conscious about my body for the first time in my life. I'd always been relatively thin, or at least not big enough to warrant any serious kind of body hate, and now I was starting to develop a little belly. A little belly that was giving me a huge amount of fucking insecurity. It didn't help that a few weeks earlier, after seeing me eat a delicious blueberry bagel smothered in butter from Starbucks, one of my acting teachers pulled me aside and told me she was really concerned about my nutrition. You're extremely talented, Rosie, she said, a patronising hand resting on mine. But I worry that in an industry that relies so much on looks, if you don't concentrate on your nutrition, you're not going to get the parts you deserve. 
I agonised over that conversation for weeks. I had gained about five kilos after the breakup, nothing to be hugely concerned about, but that conversation set something off in my brain. In fact, the week after she said that to me, I starved myself for the very first time in what would become a years-long battle with an eating disorder. So basically, I didn't want to get naked because I was more concerned that people would see my slightly protruding belly than I was about them seeing my vagina. I didn't realise it then, but that was probably the most profound lesson I learned about being a woman in show business in my entire time at drama school. In the countdown to Curtains Up, there was a nervous energy backstage. Nobody had seen me naked, and everybody was wondering if I was actually going to do it. In fact, I was already wearing specially made underwear beneath my costume. I had made it myself out of cheap calico because I couldn't find a pair in the shops that went high enough to cover the belly I'd become so obsessed with. Everyone kept wishing me luck for something I knew I had no intention of doing. Adrian, an ass of a guy who took all the chair-seducing stuff very seriously, even seemed to have a little respect for me. This was surprising, given we'd slept together a few weeks earlier and I'd been so off my face that I then proceeded to tell everyone that the sex was awful and he had a tiny penis. He didn't. It had been a slip of the drugged-up tongue, but he still would never forgive me, and rightfully so, to be honest. We were at a friend's 21st birthday, which was held at some swanky golf club, and about halfway through the night, it was decided that in order to teach all these rich, swanky golf club people a lesson, we would sneak down to the 18th hole and do a big shit in it. Granted, I was 20, had very much taken advantage of the open bar, and had a couple of pills in my system already, but even as I write this now, sober, I think that's a pretty funny idea. Adrian and I ran off together into the night, frolicking through the golf course, holding hands and looking for hole number 18. I'm not sure either of us knew how to find it or if we had considered any kind of logistical plan, but before I knew what was what, we were making out on the hole instead of shitting in it. Then we were having sex on the hole instead of shitting in it. I guess that's what happens when you try to shit in a hole while on ecstasy. Adrian clearly wasn't enjoying himself. I clearly wasn't enjoying myself. But I had been taught that sex was a failure unless the boy comes, so I stubbornly kept at it. Then my phone rang. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm reading this in front of you, (laughs) Mum. Then my phone rang, and in what seemed like a perfectly reasonable move at the time, I answered it. Yes, helloing, I said, continuing to ride Adrian like a sad, lonely seesaw. Rosie, it's Tons. Where the hell are you guys? The party's over. Everyone's leaving and going to Club 77. (laughs) Mum, I hate doing this. (laughs) You should see Mum's face. Oh, um, I was clearly out of breath. Wait. What the fuck, Rosie? Are you having sex right now? Tony asked. Um, ew, you slut. Ah, hey, you guys, Rosie and Adrian are totally doing it. Just meet us here soon. Okay, bye. I threw the phone down and kept going. Adrian had his eyes closed tight, but not in a passionate kind of way. His face looked halfway between concentrating on a mass question and trying not to cry. I climbed off him. Okay, I said, defeated. Everyone's left. Are you going to go to the club? I guess so, he said, with the attitude of a kid who'd woken up on Christmas morning expecting an iPad and got a new school bag instead. The entire golf course grounds had been closed, so the next 15 minutes were spent trying to find a fence we could jump, all in complete silence. We flagged a cab down and rode all the way to the club, still in complete silence. I was so off my face. It was only 11pm and I was already holding my shoes. When we finally got to Club 77, I saw my friends and it was like 
My mouth erupted with the orgasm I wished Adrian had just had. Details just came exploding out of me. You guys, it was so bad. And his penis thingy was teeny, 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 tiny, and he didn't even come. What's wrong with me? Is that my fault? That can't be my fault. And oh my gosh, you guys, it was so bad. And he didn't come and his thingy was small. It really wasn't. But I was so traumatized by the fact I hadn't been able to make him come that I felt like I needed to save face. Also, the ecstasy was compromising my otherwise tactful brain. Rosie, shut up for a second. Tons shoved a glass of water in my face, the drinking of which mercifully kept me quiet for 30 seconds. But it was too late. I turned around. Adrian had been standing there, listening to the whole thing. I felt so bad that I then proceeded to get fingered by another guy on the dance. Oh my God, I forgot this. Mum, this is so embarrassing. Oh, I was such a hussy. Okay, let's keep going. I felt so bad that I then proceeded to get fingered by another guy on the dance floor right in front of him, to which I'm sure he thought bullet fucking dodged, which at that point I certainly was. Screwing one guy and getting fingered by another in one night was pretty clear evidence that I was not handling my breakup well. Oh, my God, Mum, this is so embarrassing. (laughs) You look so... You look so upset with me. (laughs) I was young. Okay, let me keep going. My self-esteem was in the toilet and momentary sexual encounters were giving me a very brief taste of the comfort I had felt with Josh. Of course, the brief comfort that comes from a hookup like that is cruelly cancelled out when you look back on the night before and realise you only did it because you just wanted to be held by somebody and coming down off the ecstasy probably doesn't help either. So, after my drug fueled lie to a club full of people about the size of Adrian's peen, I was surprised when he wished me luck for my big scene. I didn't have the heart to tell anyone I was a total fraud. The first act went fine. I had all my funny lines and stole most of my scenes with the kind of improvising that irritated everyone on stage but got me a lot of laughs from the audience. Hashtag team player. During intermission, the director came backstage to see if I was okay and to tell me once again that I didn't have to do it if I didn't want to, to which I once again responded that I definitely would, knowing full well I already had calico undies on beneath my costume. When the scene got closer, I suddenly remembered the whole acting side of it. I'd been so worried about admitting to anyone that I was too scared to go naked that I'd completely forgotten I also had no freaking chance of reaching the emotional level the scene required. Oh God, I thought, waiting to go on. This is going to be fucking humiliating. I approached Don Juan, putting as much emotion into the scene as I could by yelling everything I said. All of a sudden I was regretting not taking the chair seducing classes seriously. And why the fuck had I refused to be a sexy dolphin? Why had I laughed at every acting exercise we ever did? Now I was standing on stage, yelling at some guy, feeling no better than Tabitha and Passions, and in approximately ten seconds I was going to rip off my nun's habit and disappoint everyone by wearing undies. I yelled my final, this is the cue for the lighting guys that I'm about to get naked line, adding in what I felt was a very dramatic head turn at the end. Then, in one swift move, I ripped off my nun's habit and stood on stage, brave, defiant, broken, naked, except in my undies. In fairness to me, I was fully topless, so at least my tits were out for all to see. I hope that at least made me half a brave actor. To be honest, I was just relieved that nobody saw my little belly. I had strategically ripped the undies in certain places so that some people might get a bit of a look at my vag, but mostly I chickened out of a nude scene because I was embarrassed about not having a six-pack, like nuns have six-packs anyway. 
I was never offered another lead role after that and left drama school halfway through my final year because I couldn't afford the ridiculous fees anymore. I was sad not to graduate, but I hardly think it made a difference to my career. A year later, I enrolled at the University of Technology, Sydney, to study creative writing and realise it's probably what I should have been concentrating on all along. All I'd ever wanted to do was write funny skits and perform them without the pressure of meeting an emotional crescendo that warrants the ripping off of a nun's habit. I just wanted acting to be fun, and my idea of fun was not seducing chairs and pretending to be a sexy dolphin, although that would make a great fucking skit. Okay, Mum. That was embarrassing. I didn't like reading that in front of you. (laughs) Do you like hearing that? No. (laughs) How does it make you feel uncomfortable? Oh, my God. My daughter's such a slut. That's what it, how it makes you feel. I'm only joking. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> I was young. That wasn't at Pimble Golf Course, was it? Mm-mm. What golf course was it? Rose Bay. Are you allowed to say that? I don't know. Rose Bay. It was at Rose Bay. Right. One of my friends, Edwina, is very wealthy. It was her 21st. So it was, it was the fanciest place I'd ever been to. So naturally I wanted to take a shit in public. So quite a few. <laughs> um, did you? Have any toilet paper? No, we would. Oh, how disgusting! We were drunk and high. We honestly did not even think about it. It was just one of those things where we were so off our faces, and we were like, "Let's go shit on the eighteenth hole." And we just ran off down there. Yeah. Oh my god! What for? Why? I was a little bit cool for a while, Mum. I like. There's nothing cool about. No, I know. I mean, like, cool as in like. A club kit. Well, okay. Back in the day, after I broke up with Josh, Mm. um, it was like a year of me, the only year that I spent going out. And Sydney was fun back then. Like, there were so many fun places. Like, Club 77 was probably the funnest. But it was just, it was really fun and there was just lots of drinking and drug taking involved. Where was Club 77? That still exists, actually. It's on William Street. Oh, okay. But it wasn't me. I wasn't cool enough to hang out with those people. I think I was just trying not to be sad about the breakup. Mm, yeah. I can't believe you're surprised that I took ecstasy. Well, well I don't know. You seem to be quite a responsible sort of person. Because everyone thinks I'm a dweeb. No, I, was, I caught you. I, I was kind of cool. Cut drinking in your room. Oh, my God. I had like two <laughs> drinks. And I could tell straight away. Yeah, I'm a very I'm very obvious when I'm a little bit tipsy, so you can always tell if Two I've drinks. had a couple of drinks. Two drinks shouldn't have made much of a difference, I don't think. It does to me. Even, yeah, you become much more vociferous than usual. Oh, thanks, Mum. <laughs> you took lots of drugs. I think people just get surprised because I'm such a loser now. But it's, I was briefly like people... I was briefly on the scene, all right? I hung out with the kids with the Z. It's like people say, oh, you don't look like a smoker. You know, they say things like that. Or you don't look like you drink or, Mm. yeah, I suppose. Anyway, so um, did you come to that play, the one where I got naked? Uh, I don't think so. I came to the one where you played Bunny. Bunny? The pregnant. Oh, um, the pregnant showgirl. Yeah, showgirl, yeah. The musical. You came yeah, to the musical. I came to that. We put on a lot of shitty um I think I came I came to a couple. Place. I came to a couple of them. I feel like 
you did come to the naked I one. Because I remember I Rhiannon telling me that you and her burst out laughing. Oh, well, we must have gone. Because I didn't really <laughs> reach the emotional. I'm just not that great an actor, to be honest. So I couldn't <laughs> really do it. I didn't want to get naked. And also I just couldn't really pull the scene off itself. It's fun, it was a funny little um, theatre. Theatre, wasn't it, that it's one? It's still there. Mm. Yeah. I think in, I saw it. In the city. A couple of Sydney. years ago I saw it. What street is it in? Pitt Street. Pitt Street. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember me acting when I was a little kid? Oh, yeah. The first time I saw you acting. When? When was the, the first time? The main one. No, not as a little. No, I remember you being an angel because I had a job at the school in in making the angel costume. Oh, that's and right. I was helping You were talking them. about when the school put on Hansel and Gretel and me, actor... Prodigy, or so I thought, was cast as an angel, and Rhiannon, of course, was cast as Gretel. I never mentioned as that. As per fucking usual. No, I never mentioned that. <laughs> well, I remember she you being a, an angel. I was an angel in that play. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that, but you were very, very young. That was my very first acting role. And then I made the costume for the dancing thing, Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, when I was Little Red Rocking Hood in yeah. Little Red Rocking Hood. But I think that was sixth class. That was year six, yes. Of course, that was bullied, that obviously. Unbelievable, gob-smacking performance of the washerwoman in high school. Oh, <gasps> you're obsessed that with the washerwoman. That was just fantastic. <laughs> oh, my God. You were, so, you were brilliant. Like, seriously, that was fantastic. You got a standing ovation. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that was so good. My question Just then. getting up there, doing a monologue. Yes. It was amazing in itself, but the way you did it and the accent. What accent was it? I can't even remember. Like a, it was an English accent. Cockney, I think. Because I remember you didn't believe I was even, because I would never practice in I front of everyone. her. In I mean, front of anyone. She, and you, oh. I don't think you even believed, like I think you came to watch because you were scared I was going to be terrible. No, I, I used to come to all those school things. Um. Because I remember doing making the T-shirt for you. For what? With the shotgun hole in oh, it. Oh, yeah, for the, the blood. Big, <laughs> for the big thing at the end. That was uh, that, that just amazed me. You were absolutely amazing. Question then. I'm sorry you were. What? Thank you. Why didn't you get me an agent after that? I can't say, Rosie, because you Come never. On. I needed a stage mother. You never mother. showed any interest in anything like that. That's it was just <laughs> something you did as part of drama. That's true. But still. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Yeah, gosh. Would be that you were a stage mother. <laughs> I don't think I would have been very good at doing anything like that. Yeah, I can't imagine you as a stage mother. No, You're not. I'm not into that kind of business, thank you. You're not. Like, I don't like forcing children to do things enough. they don't want to do. Yeah, all the stuff I did, I kind of just did. Yeah, like. Because I just did it. Because, I don't know. Like it the story writing every as well. time. You did something, you were good at it. Like, for instance, I know we don't really agree on this one in parts. What? <laughs> the flute. That guy could not believe you hadn't had lessons before. The flute up in um Oh, yeah, but Hazelbrook I had had lessons. Lived up there. I did it. I'd, I'd had lessons when um, I lived in foster care. Oh. Just for like six months I'd done it. No, but you just used to learn things so quickly. God, I remember what, what happened. You loved um, 
you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and... Um, Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. And you actually could do that without music. You just taught yourself how to do it. Oh, my heart will go but, on. <laughs> That's so you embarrassing. Didn't, yeah, but you didn't want anyone knowing that you, you could do it or you just kept it secret. And you used to... No, used you to can be, you can practice the flute without no, sound. No, yeah, coming out. but that was really weird to me. So you used to practice the flute without any sound coming out. Listen, I'm sure people really have noticed weird. in the course of listening to this podcast that or in our family practice. we give each other a lot of shit. And or, so as a kid, I was always too embarrassed. I was going to get teased. If I would have given you shit, well, you wouldn't have. But Rhiannon would have. No, she wouldn't have. Ah, uh, yes, she would have. Sitting in my room by myself on Saturday night practicing my flute. God, I was such a loser. I think it was admirable. Oh, thanks, Mum. And you were always really good at writing. Well, all yeah. of, you you learned how to read at such a young age, and all of a sudden it just clicks. I remember the kindergarten teacher in Tumut, where you went to school there. Mm. You were also um, she was also the like the doctor's wife. She just couldn't believe how clever you were as far as. English and, you know, languages. Yeah, not maths and science. So you just, like, I don't know. It seemed to come very easy for you, you know? This is a nice love fest, Mum. <laughs> love fest? I'm just telling you the truth. I'm, I'm telling you what I can remember. Well, Dad was very smart. You were both very smart. You were both very good writers. Dad was a very yeah, good we writer. Yeah, were, we were quite, I think we were quite good at, we were good at, that was my favourite subject at school. English. Yeah, English. I wasn't much good at math, I was hopeless. And then Rhiannon's. I was pretty good at Latin. Rhiannon's very artistic and creative in a way that I'm not. Visually, she is. <gasps> yeah, she's clever, isn't she? Like words Stars, I've always like understood, but Rhiannon does this artistic, the way her visual brain works, it's, like, so impressive to me. Mm. I feel like you've just talked a lot about all the things that I'm good at because you don't want to talk about how I had sex and got fingered on the same night. <laughs> hussy! 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 <laughs> what Fingering. What, el- what other names? Most <laughs> crash thing I've ever heard. <laughs> What and else and what the call? hell in front of people? Yes. That's disgusting. I, I am totally ashamed of you. I know, oh, Mum. Seriously. God, I know. Don't know awful. why you even put it in the book. I wouldn't have. Because it's funny. It's not funny. It's revolting. Well, it's not funny to you. You're my mother. But it's funny. And I'm sorry, but everybody has really embarrassing, sloppy stories. Yeah, but that. Embarrassing stuff ugh. they did. In clubs at three AM when yeah, they were off their face. That's true. So that's just. Are you sure one you didn't my... make it up? I did. You God, wish I, I made can't that. Believe I it. wish I made that up. <laughs> Haven't you got any sense of shame? <sighs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wonder who I get that from. Excuse me. Well, it had to are come you from talking, somewhere. Are you referring to me? Well, I don't know. I just maybe it's my time at drama school. I will literally do anything for a laugh. Like if I if a story is just profoundly embarrassing to me, but I know it's going to be entertaining to people, I'll I have to tell it. I just have to. Although I talk about sex and farts, I don't think you're funny. My com- <laughs> you're so supportive, Mum. Thank you so much. My comedy is actually very 
intelligent she's and a very serious person. You just don't know what she's really like. What do you mean? She gets so shitty with me all the time. She's got no patience as far as me asking about technology. <sighs> Mom, I can't help you on the computer. I can't. It drives me crazy. Can't like she goes and buys me a, a Mac. Mac Air. What did you get me? I bought you a MacBook Air for for my birthday. I thought I was getting slippers. <laughs> and yeah, and I feel like even, you're disappointed. She won't even teach me how to use. I it. was teaching you how to use it the you other taught night. Taught me how to watch Foxtel on it because you won't listen. Because I'm me. freezing and I sleep in a blow up bed with a hot water bottle. <laughs> You won't listen to and me, I take it to bed. I do the listen. The amount of things I've tried to teach you on the computer. Because it takes a while. And then I look, it... av- I look over at your face and you're not even looking. You're watching the TV and then you get angry at me when you don't know how to do it. Yeah, see. I just, no, I am listening. It just doesn't look like I am. Or the amount of times you've yelled at me because an email hasn't gone through and I said, well, you probably I didn't haven't put in never the, yelled at you. You probably didn't put in the right email address. And you say, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And you get so angry at me and then I check <clears> and you put in the wrong email address. No, it's not the wrong. I send it to myself accidentally. <laughs> yeah. See what I mean? <laughs> well, it takes time. I know. And I'm teaching you little bits at a time. Yes. Better bloody ring up your sister and beg her for help. I told you you can do whatever you need to do. I'll show you. But since I bought you the computer, you've just been using your iPad still. Yeah, because I don't need it until I start that um, okay, this course. Is, this anyway, now <laughs> you can't watch talking. <laughs> Were you like Devo, Mum? That. Everyone thought I was going to be super yeah. smart and do something really impressive. No, no, no. And then no. I dropped out of university and went to drama school. Yeah, I was a bit <laughs> disappointed because then I couldn't say, oh, my daughter's studying psychology at Sydney Uni. I couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> say, oh, my daughter's studying so, acting. I say, yeah, she's in acting school. <laughs> and then they say, oh, did she get into... Um, NIDA. NIDA. No. No, no, but, you know, it's in the... <laughs> I didn't even try. Those schools have the most petrifying audition processes. I didn't even bother. I was like, I don't want to do that. And when I saw that this school, you didn't have to audition. Not many people get in either, do they? No, I don't think so. I can't believe you didn't even have to audition. No, there was an an interview with the owner. Hmm. But um, I know Uncle was really disappointed, but it was very generous of him to... Like he paid half my fees. We halved it. How much were they? How much were those fees? <sighs> I can't remember now. I think it was about four thousand dollars a semester, and there was two semesters a year, so it was That's about eight expensive. grand a year. And you didn't get any money back from the government. No. <gasps> oh God. So I'm I was working. He, like I'm surprised that he paid that for you. Every day. Well, he halved it with me. So every well, day then, I wasn't at school, I was working. And the reason you didn't finish was he because he stopped paying it, or what? Yeah. He just decided one day that he wasn't going to pay it anymore. When he asked me to move out. Oh, what? Um, he stopped paying that as well? Well, he just never said anything about it. He, you know, he asked me to move out and never mentioned drama school or the fees or anything. I and I sort of was too embarrassed that, you know? to ask. And you know, I think next it's... chapter is the next chapter. Oh, okay. We'll talk about that next. Um, 
But it was very generous of him. Like he, I think he had spent a ridiculous amount of money sending me to private boarding school. Like in hindsight, when I added up, I'd say it was upwards of around $150,000 for three years at that school. Yeah. And then the uniforms and everything and just everything else you have to pay for. And, um, and they had this thing when you're a boarder, oh, my God, they, they have this thing called accounts just at shops. And so I figured out that when Uncle got the fees list, like, it would just say boarder accounts. And, like, and so it's meant to be, like, you know, boarders have an account at the chemist so you yeah. can go pick up a prescription. Yeah. But the chemist was a freaking price line. So, oh, my God, the amount of crazy stuff we spent money on and put on our accounts. <gasps> yeah. So what happened? He got an itemized oh, no, list. No, he, doesn't, he didn't get an itemized list, so I just went cray-cray. We all did. All our parents just got a but thing saying... Accounts. Accounts. Oh, my God. Or, like, you know, boarders would have nights where they'd all go out to dinner and it all just got put on your account. So, like, there was a lot of extra, like, you pay the fees, but then there's so much extra money involved in going to those schools. But, um, you know, so he paid all this money to send me to this really fancy school and then I went to uni for a month, dropped out and said, I want to go to acting school. (laughs) I can't imagine how freaking disappointed he was but he did see how depressed I was after drama school and it was super generous of him first he sent me to a very expensive psychiatrist and second he agreed to let me go to drama school because I think he just knew it would make me happy so Mm. I don't know what else (laughs) we can move on let's do the next chapter In the next episode, Mom, I'm telling you the actual timeline right you now. You you cannot argue with time. Yes, I can. No, you because can't. Because it's your time, Rosie. It's no, your time. No, but I'm telling you, we moved to Smurf Village when I was in kindergarten. Because mine then, is accurate. Oh my my God, time is no. accurate. Yours is inaccurate. People don't live according to different times. I'm talking about actual years. I'm talking about actual years in history. Mom, stop it. I can tell you're just loving that I'm getting really angry. You think this is really funny. (laughs) Anyway. No, no, I can't. I'm really mad about this now. Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.